it's Wednesday, the 30th of November, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-ho. Two labor unions of Seoul Metro launched a general strike on Wednesday morning, calling for the subway operator to withdraw restructuring plans. This comes amid an ongoing trucker strike in the country. We'll have more on those stories in our news briefing shortly. Last week, President Yun pledged to pursue a free trade agreement with African nations and hold a special Korea-Africa summit in 2024. We'll discuss such plans for our in-depth today. And then coming up for Korea Book Club, we'll be looking at the grand prize winner of the Munak Dongne's Young Writers Award this year. Let's begin Korea 24. Unionized workers of Seoul Metro launched a protest earlier on this Wednesday, calling for the subway operator to withdraw a restructuring plan that includes layoffs and instead hire more workers. This as a trucker strike continues for a seventh day with no relief in sight. For more on this and our other headlines of the day, we're joined on the line now by KBS World Radio News Editor Eunice Kim. Eunice, hello. Hello, General. So the decision to strike came late yesterday after talks uh, with management led to nowhere. So there were concerns over what that would mean for the morning rush hour. But it seems that impact was thankfully non-critical, Eunice. Right. Seoul City has said they did have some 13,000 stand-in workers at the ready in case the strike did materialize. And indeed it did. But the morning rush hour went without incident and cars were running at lesser frequency in the afternoon. But commuters were warned to find other modes of transport if they couldn't handle a delay of, say, about five minutes between cars. But indeed, the two labor unions representing employees of Seoul Metro declared the start of a general strike near Seoul City Hall Wednesday morning, as you heard there. And they were set to engage in another meeting with management this evening, the outcome of which is to be announced. Okay, so what is it exactly that the unions are asking for? So the unions are demanding that Seoul Metro, which is in poor financial health, withdraw a workforce downsizing plan and hire 230 more workers per previous pledge so that extended nighttime operations can run properly. This is the first time in six years that subway workers are striking. They refer to a special agreement that was made with management in September of last year that there would be no coerced layoffs on the pretext of a fiscal crisis, adding that management's current position runs counter to this. Seoul Mayor Oh Se-hun, meanwhile, told reporters he views these strikes as political, that the subway workers' walkout is linked to the ongoing walkout by unionized truckers, but the unionized workers of Seoul Metro say this is not true. On to the truckers' strike next. The government continues to ramp up pressure for unionized cement truck drivers to comply with the return-to-work order, but delivering them on an individual basis is proving to be more challenging. Eunice, can you tell us more? 
Yeah, so these orders must be received by individual drivers to take effect, which it does three days after receipt. That is an expedited timeline given the urgency of the matter, according to the Transport Ministry. It also explained earlier Wednesday that individual orders were delivered to employers of some 350 truckers. That's about 14% of the roughly 2,500 impacted cement truckers participating in the strike. Employers' reluctance to turn over their drivers' personal information has limited the government's ability to obtain addresses to just 20 strikers. Now, Interior Minister Lee Sang-min, in a meeting of the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters Wednesday, said that the nation's logistics system is in serious crisis due to the week-long strike. He underlined the government's zero-tolerance policy and that it would take appropriate legal steps should work refuse to comply without justification. Those that defy the order uh, could face the revocation of their license up to three years in prison or a maximum fine of 30 million won. Speaking of the Minister of Interior and Safety, the main opposition Democratic Party was set to table a motion as scheduled on Wednesday for Minister E's dismissal to hold him accountable for the fatal Itaewon crowd crush. So what's the latest on this front? Yeah, so the DP's floor leader, Pak Hongun, told reporters that Minister E's missteps as the government official in charge of disaster prevention and management are undeniably clear. Uh, Pak said the DP is offering the president and the minister a final chance to remedy the problem by putting forward a dismissal motion before an impeachment motion. Now, if the minister does not step down or President Yoon uh, disregards this demand even after the non binding motion is passed in Parliament. The main opposition DP plans to introduce a stronger impeachment motion against E next week. Okay, let's move on to some other headlines now. If any of our listeners were outside at all today in the nation, I'm sure you will know that it was a particularly cold day today. And Eunice, uh, the cold snap is expected to continue, I understand. Yeah, that's right. According to the weather agency, the KMA, morning lows in Seoul is projected to fall to minus 8 degrees on Thursday. The country, of course, has been gripped by a cold wave as cold snap warnings were issued for most parts of the nation, meaning the day's lows were projected to drop by at least 15 degrees Celsius compared to the previous day. The mercury in most parts of the central region plunged to minus 5 degrees Wednesday morning with the temperature in Seoul falling to minus 5.4 degrees. The wind chill factor uh, did move that temperature to minus 10 degrees. Yes, uh, meanwhile, health authorities are issuing another call for COVID-19 booster shots, noting that those who are reinfected could have a higher chance of death. Can you elaborate? Yeah, so since the dominance of the Omicron variants and their sub variants we've seen this year, the risk of death from a second infection uh, or forthcoming increases as much as three times than from the first infection, according to officials. So authorities are urging the public to get their booster shots as the nation's rate of bivalent vaccination remains alarmingly low. According to the Central Disease 
Control Headquarters Wednesday, the rate of suspected reinfection cases over the past week stood at 12.1%, that is up from the 10.68% registered a week earlier. This means that one out of every 8.26 cases were found in patients who had previously contracted the virus. On to economic headlines next. Industrial output dropped the most in 30 months, while consumption declined for the second consecutive month in October with a stagnating investment. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so this is according to data from Statistics Korea on Wednesday. Uh, it said the index of the nation's overall industrial production came to 115.4 in October. That is down 1.5% from a month earlier. And it is the lar- uh, largest fall since April of 2020 when it had contracted by 1.8%. Uh, the figure also marks the fourth straight month of decline in output since the month of July. Retail sales, which is a key indicator of consumption levels, dropped 0.2% in the same month, October, while facility investment remained unchanged from a month earlier. Looking ahead to next year, South Korea is set to be one of the co-hosts to the second summit for democracy led by the United States. Uh, What more do we know? Right. It is among four countries that will co-host the second Summit for Democracy on March 28th and 30th alongside Costa Rica, the Netherlands and Zambia. The White House announced that the second gathering will be held in a virtual format, followed by hybrid gatherings in each of the host countries with representatives from government, civil society and the private sector. A joint statement by the five co-host nations said that this gathering will demonstrate how democracies deliver for their citizens and are best equipped to address the world's most pressing challenges. Meanwhile, U.S. President Joe Biden made a visit to a South Korean firm's semiconductor manufacturing plant in the U.S. on Tuesday local time, reaffirming his commitment to reviving the U.S. manufacturing and chip industries. Eunice? Yeah, President Biden toured the SK Siltron plant in Bay City, Michigan. He stressed the importance of securing supply chains through active investment within the United States, saying that uh, the U.S. will no longer be held hostage. Reportedly hailing SK's investment in the state of Michigan as a game changer, President Biden said the production of computer chips at the SK plant will enable the U.S. to become its own supply chain source for chips instead of relying on chips produced overseas, such as those made in China. The president said the U.S. invented the chip before losing this in this initiative, resulting in the hollowing out of the manufacturing sector, which he called the backbone of the economy, but he said the U.S. will now establish a different kind of supply chain that is available to the rest of the world. Right, that's all for News Briefing today, and that is also, unfortunately, the last time we are saying goodbye to Eunice, at least for a while. Eunice, thank you for all the updates that you've done for us. Take care, and we certainly hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you, Chang-Hong. It's been a pleasure. Last week, the president of Kenya, William Ruto, 
visited Korea and met with President Yoon Suk-yeol, where the leaders called for stronger cooperation in various sectors. Then later at a dinner event with President Ruto and some 30 ambassadors from African nations in attendance, President Yoon pledged to pursue a free trade agreement with African nations and shared plans to hold a special South Korea-Africa summit in 2024. He said that cooperation with Africa is crucial to South Korea being a key global country. To learn more about the current state of Korea-Africa relations and opportunities that lie ahead, Dr. Cho Jun-hwa, Research Fellow at Seoul National University's Asia Centre, who studies African politics, joins us in the studio today. Hello, Dr. Cho, and welcome to this show. Yeah, thank you for having me today. Okay, so let us start with that visit by the Kenyan president, William Ruto, last week. It was his first visit to an Asian country since his inauguration in September. And actually, it's the first time for any Kenyan president to visit South Korea since 1990. So what did you make of his visit? Yes, uh, it is kind of it is kind of phenomena in a sense that uh, Kenya is one of the uh, Korea's longest traditional ally under the banner of liberal democracy since the establishment of diplomatic ties in 1964. Uh, President Moi once visited in Korea in 1990s, but since then, it, it is kind of second time for Kenyan president to visit in Korea. It means, I think, uh, many African countries are looking for new partners in order to enhance and seek or new areas of cooperation from traditional allies, which are mostly European countries and ex-colonial masters towards the emerging donors, I would say, Asian countries. Indeed, since the 2000, many African countries see the Asian development could be a possible model to implement into the African context. At the same time, emerging Asian donors such as China, India, and South Korea have an interest in Africa too. But when it comes to the Kenya in particular, uh, actually there is a controversial issues of Chinese engagement in Africa. So in that sense, Kenya seems to seek an alternative partners, which does not mean they shift their policy towards the China to Korea. Mm. But they would like to make a kind of new partnership, uh, which is South Korea. So I think in that, in that sense, I think it is kind of meaningful for South Korea to have uh, President Kenyan, uh, Kenyan president uh, last week. Likewise, it is not a bad deal for South Korea to enhance relationship with Kenya in order to cultivate potential opportunities in areas of resources and politics and investments and international co- cooperation and so on. So in sum up, I think... Uh, uh, many African countries seek alternative partners for the development. And in that sense, South Korea needs to enhance relationship with African countries for the future political and economic interests. OK, so it was a significant visit for the Kenyan president to make. And uh, there are opportunities for uh, win-win collaboration, cooperation yeah. for both countries. Uh, what also caught many people's eyes uh, last week was that uh, while in Korea, the Kenyan president attended an event attended by ambassadors from 31 African countries, along with President Yoon Sang-yeol. There, President Yoon pledged to pursue a free trade agreement with African nations to expand trade 
and help uh, Korean firms make investments and inroads into the continent. Uh, How do you assess, first, how do you assess South Korea's current trade relations with African nations? Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about perhaps what are the main areas of trade? Uh, It's a little bit shame, but it is fact that the the size of trade with African countries are about 2%. Mm. So it's, 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 it's better than nothing, but I cannot say... I, I don't want to uh, accelerate it of the size of the trading. Sure. So, it's, so for yeah. all of Korea's trade, only 2% uh, makes up for all African countries, you Yes, say? yes. But of course, as I said, Africa is, African continent is, Africa is a continent and then 54 countries. Sure. So in order to mention about AFC, FTA, I would like to emphasize the size of Africa continents, why they are interested, why they decided to make a AFC, FTA. Mm. The size of African continents contains USA, China, India, Europe, then it, it doesn't cover it all. So mm. which means literally, literally so big, which means it is very hard to integrate all continents at once. Mm. So they had regional economic community in the eastern part, western part, and southern part of Africa. But uh, based on uh, shared uh, cultures and values and basically from the ex-colonial powers. But in order to... But most of members are joined more than two that regional economic communities, which means uh, basically uh, the economic uh, effectiveness was not working Mm. enough. So the idea is that let's make Africa as a as a single market, which is uh, African Continental FTA, mm. a- AF- AFC FTA, and that is ratified in 2019. But again, uh, it means that a new economic community created, which covers for 54 African countries and 1.2 billion populations. So there are two kind of views on it. So from the optimistic view, it means that Africa became a single market and it would help to increase investment and trading. In doing so, it can contribute for African countries to have various types of industry and to boost their economic development. However, from the pessimistic side, in order to obtain such outcomes, Africa should tackle with lots of problems of infrastructure, corruption, conflicts, and so on. So... For Korean side, AFC FTA will help for South Korea to en- engage more economic activities with the more African countries per se. Mm. But uh, it is better than nothing, I would say. But it cannot. It, it's not simply say we are going to take all continents because, as I mentioned earlier, the size of trading with Africa continents is just about two percent. Right, so it is an FTA with uh, Africa, but uh, because there are so many countries and so many markets, uh, it's perhaps not targeted enough yet. Uh, but you're saying it is a good first step, perhaps. Uh, it's been interesting because since President Yun took office in May, he's met with leaders and high-level officials from several African nations, including uh, President uh, Mohamedou Buhari of Nigeria, President Akli Bongo Ondimba of Gabon. Have you noticed perhaps a shift in diplomacy towards Africa from this administration? Actually, it's very early to say that there is a such kind of shift of Korean diplomacy towards Africa. But I could say African countries are interested in 
uh, interested in South Korea before than now. Mm. So I think the more, as time goes by, the more African leader will or would like to visit South Korea when we invite and whatever. But uh, I would say as but I would say as whether there is a concrete version of uh, policy of diplomacy towards Africa and Korea. Uh, in Korea, somehow, since Roh Muhan administration, when the Ban Ki Moon elected as a UN Secretary General at that time, South Korea has formulated dialogue channel with Africa countries in 2006. However, I doubt that. There is a consensus why South Korea should cooperate with Africa countries for what? Mm. So, uh, yes, uh, when we look back the, uh, over the last kind of uh, period, yes, uh, the, it is step by step and the relationship is getting uh, better. But however, uh, I doubt that why South Korea should cooperate with Africa countries more. That's kind of blur. Right. Blur so policy, yeah. in the past, in past administrations, there's been question marks about uh, what uh, perhaps South Korea can gain from uh, more uh, of an active relationship. Uh, perhaps you can explain for us, perhaps, uh, what are the benefits that come from trading with African nations? What opportunities are there uh, that South Korea could seek out, do you think? Yes, I think that the more Korea is trading with African countries, the more Korea would get the benefits. Mm. But as I said... It's not going to be like a boom. That's, that's what I want to emphasize here. Mm. It is better than nothing anyway. Mm. But in the discourse at the level of the government, Korean government, whenever Korea faces like energy and natural resources problem that we are facing now, the Africa is mentioned as an alternative area where South Korea has not yet engaged enough. However, when we look back natural resource policy under the Lee administration, South Korea should make a delicate, delicate should make a delicate diplomacy in a long-term strategy. Mm. Otherwise, it's otherwise you know the that policy has not implemented as it aimed. So due to the fact that many traditional allies, such as Europe, USA, Japan, and today the recently China. have already secured their stakes in Africa. It is hard for South Korea to deal with these issues in reality. But so, so I think the African policy should be more operated in a long-term strategy mm. rather than just, uh, rather than, uh, just seeking short-term outcomes. I think that is more important. Yeah. Right. So a long-term plan needed for South Korea to really get the benefits from trading with African nations. Uh, what about for uh, the other way around, the African nations? What are they looking to get out of the relationship yeah. with South Korea? As I mentioned earlier, it is true that many African countries are interested in development of Asian countries, such as Singapore, China, and South Korea, of course. In this regard, most agenda with African countries are issues of development cooperation, And which basically means that South Korea is willing to donate or lend money in order for African countries to help their investment. Of course, but don't forget that the, that international development corporation's budget or size is not enough for just single African countries to boost their development. But mm. this is kind of cultivating... cultivating ban uh, uh, future interest from Korean side and also Afri from the African side. It is also uh, 
it is also good for them to you to uh, util, utilize the uh, their development plan or development strategy. Yeah, that that is kind of current. That is we call like a win-win strategy. Sure. And I would say in reality, it is kind of uh, diplomatic bargaining between Korean and African countries. Yeah. Sure. So it might not uh, change uh, African countries as uh, so these uh, development uh, programs, but uh, as we said with Korea as well, every little helps, I guess. So President Yoon last week also unveiled plans to hold a, a special South Korea-Africa summit in 2024. Uh, so a major event is already being earmarked. What are your expectations for the next couple of years then when you look at something like this, this sort of summit, in terms of cooperation with African nations? How would you advise the government in planning policies uh, towards African nations? You've already talked about long-term plans, yeah. but uh, what else? Yeah, that's, that's my, my answer, but I cannot, I cannot imagine what kind of the new kind of policies, uh, named policies. Mm. But uh, as I mentioned, it's kind of right time to reevaluate the South Korea's foreign policy towards Africa, as I mentioned, it kind of started in 2006. So we have to evaluate it regardless of the uh, government's uh, politics of government or left wings or right wings. We have to reevaluate uh, South Korea's uh, foreign policy towards Africa as to whether what their motivations for it and what kind of modalities should be more enhanced in that way, then we should make a kind of new policies towards Africa in order to make a, in order to help uh, both sides, which are South Korea and Africa. But as I, as I mentioned, I would like to emphasize it should be more a long-term strategy rather than mm. just short-term events. That's that's what I want to advise <laughs> for the Korean policymakers. Yeah. Sure. So we shouldn't be looking for short-term gains or short-term booms, but to rather have a long-term strategy with a clear goal uh, so that uh, both sides can uh, benefit as much as possible. OK, we'll leave it there. We're speaking to Dr. Cho Junhua from Seoul National University's Asia Centre. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Bye. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 39.14 points, or 1.61% on Wednesday, closing the day at 2,472.53. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 2 points, or 0.27%, closing the day at 729.54. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 7.81 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,318.81. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on to our daily segment, Korea Trending, where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online in Korea today. And for that, we have Walter Lee in the studio with us to bring us those stories. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's always good to see you. 
Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? Okay, so first we'll talk about education authorities launching an investigation after an elementary school student punched his teacher in the face in North Gyeongsang Province. We'll also find out what South Korea's national football team head coach, Paulo Bento, had to say to the Taeguk Warriors after being shown a red card earlier this week. And finally, we'll discover where the Chinese billionaire Jack Ma has been staying these past several months. Okay, so we start with an incident at an elementary school. Can you tell us more? Yes, education authorities have launched an investigation after an eight-year-old student punched his teacher in the face last week in Guni County, North Gyeongsang Province. Now, according to the province's Office of Education on Tuesday, the third grader punched his teacher in her 40s in physical education class after slapping a classmate during a ball game. Now, the boy reportedly hit his teacher when she scolded him for slapping the classmate, complaining that the teacher had taken sides. Right, and it seems uh, to have been a full-on punch from an eight-year-old, no less, which is, of course, uh, shocking, and I'm sure it was distressing for the teacher as well. Mm. Uh, Do we know how she's doing? Well, she is said to be in shock and has taken sick leave from the day of the incident until Friday. Now, the school, meanwhile, plans to convene a committee meeting for the protection of educational authority on Thursday of next week to discuss what punishment to uh, be handed down to the boy. Now, in a separate move, the school also plans to hold a school violence countermeasures committee meeting to deliberate on the violence the student committed against his fellow classmate. Yes, the fact that this story is trending suggests that this uh, sort of incident is uh, rather rare in Korea, particularly involving such a young student. Mm-hmm. How common are acts of violence against teachers uh, in Korea? Well, Do we know? Co- yeah, well, according to the Education Ministry, there have been more than 2,500 cases of infringement of teachers' rights every year. This is excluding 2020 and 2021. Mm. Now, a total of 1,596 ca- such cases have been reported as of the first semester of this year, with 56% of them involving students and their parents defaming teachers. Now, around 10% involved causing injury to or committing violence against teachers. And on Tuesday, the Education Ministry devised a motion to have schools record, records note any act by a student that seriously violated the teacher's rights. Now, currently, there are no laws saying that the schools have to record these sorts of incidences against teachers. Right, and I would say perhaps one of the reasons why this story has been trending is uh, over concerns that perhaps uh, children are becoming more unruly nowadays, and that's Mm. a growing social concern. But for now, uh, we certainly hope that this is just a one-off incident and not a sign of anything more that uh, people might have concerns about. OK, let's move on to the next story. What do you have for us? Yeah, so South Korea's head coach Paolo Bento has apologised for getting suspended after the team's most recent group match against Ghana at the FIFA World Cup. In a news conference held on at, at El Agla training facility in Doha on Tuesday, Bento talked about him being shown a red card after getting into a heated debate with referee Anthony Taylor following South Korea's 3-2 loss against the African nation side on Monday. Now, due to the red card, Bento won't be present in the dugout for the Taeguk Warriors' final group game against his birth country, Portugal, which is a big blow to the South Korean team who has a chance to advance into the round of 16 given that they win Friday's match. Mm. Now, Bento can only watch the game from the VIP section in the stands. Yes, the situation is not ideal, to say the least. What did Bento say exactly at the news conference? So the head coach said he is sorry to the players, adding that getting suspended was not exemplary of him. He then stressed that he will continue to help and work for the team. Now, Tuesday marked the first time for Bento to speak at a news conference organised by the Korea Football Association on a training day during the World Cup. Previously, he had only taken part in news conferences held before or after a match. 
is I think many Korean fans will have sympathy for the way he reacted, but perhaps he should have been more cool-headed, especially mm. when there is this game to come. And abuse to referees, of course, is certainly not something to be condoned either. Yes. In any case, uh, though he won't be there on the sidelines during the match, he still has a lot of decisions to make for the upcoming game. Mm-hmm. Uh, did he give us any hints as to what the starting lineup could look like for the last group match? Not a lot at the moment. So Bento said he has yet to decide whether he will have Kim Min-jae and Hwang Hee-chan play on Friday. Now, Kim competed in the second group match despite picking up a calf injury, while Huang was absent in the first two matches due to a hamstring injury. The coach said, though nothing has been decided, he could make some changes to the starting lineup against Portugal. Yes, and I think many people will be eager to see the young star Yigang-in start after he mm. seemed to turn the mood around uh, coming off the bench in both games so far. Right. Uh, we'll see who does make the final lineup on Friday. Let's move on to our final story for today. What else has been trending? Yeah, so Jack Ma, the founder of the e-commerce giant Alibaba, who disappeared from public view since China's tech crackdown, is reported to be in Tokyo. So the Financial Times quoted on Tuesday sources close to the billionaire as saying Ma has been living in Japan with his family for nearly six months and that his stay has included stints in hot springs and ski resorts in the countryside outside Tokyo and regular trips to the US and Israel. The sources say Ma has kept a low profile during his stay in Japan's capital, with his social activities centred around a small handful of private members' clubs. See, how long has it been since uh, Ma made a public appearance? So he's been out of the public eye since October 2020 after he criticised Chinese authorities for having what he termed a pawn shop mentality. Now, the authorities came to regard Ma's remarks as a challenge to the Chinese Communist Party and called off the $37 billion initial public offering of Ant, a company founded by Ma. They also fined Alibaba a record $2.8 billion for antitrust abuses in April of last year. Yes, uh, in the meantime, it does seem that uh, Ma got out of his homeland before uh, President Xi Jinping strengthened the zero COVID policy as well. Yeah, that's true. So the Financial Times noted that Ma's exit from China coincided with the escalation of the zero COVID policy this year. The British newspaper said spending less time in his home in China means the billionaire has avoided the tough COVID-19 quarantines imposed on anyone entering the country, as well as thorny political issues arising from his previous push to bid blood build in influence in the country's halls of power. Okay, we will wrap it up there for today's career trending. Walter, thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. See you next time. It's time now for our weekly literary corner Career Book Club. Here we delve into the world of Korean literature and also it's our special monthly edition of the club where we look at more recent best-selling or notable works that have not yet been translated so we get a better sense of the literary scene in Korea today. And we do that with the help of a special contributor. With us in the studio is Beth Unhee Hong, literary translator at Nabilera and a copy editor and co-host of Cover to Cover, a podcast about Korean books at the Korea Herald. Beth, hello. It's so great to see you again. Hi, Jango. Good to see you too. Okay, so what do you have for us this month? Today, we're looking at the grand prize-winning story from the 2022 13th collection of award-winning works by young writers or... Uh, published by Munak Dongne in April of this year. 
Okay, interesting. So we have a prize-winning work then to look at. Uh, before you dive into the story, can you tell us a bit more about this award, the Munak Dongne Young Writers Award? Mm-hmm. The Young Writers Award is an annual literary award established in 2010 by the publishing house Munhak Dongne with the aim of promoting young writers. Young writers are defined as those who have been published for the first time within the past 10 years. New short stories or novellas published from January to December of the previous year in various publications, including literary magazines, are evaluated. It is considered one of the most prestigious literary prizes in Korea for up-and-coming writers and has gained a significant following. Mm. Um, it's roughly analogous to being published in the Best American Short Stories series in terms of visibility. Right, okay. And you can see more and more reviews of the yearly collection of prize-winning works on blogs, YouTube, and other social media platforms. And in fact, many of the recipients of this prize were mentioned in previous episodes of the book club by both Barry Welsh and Anton Herr. Right, I see. So it has a good track record of highlighting young writers uh, who do go on to see more success then. And uh, the publishing house, Munak Dongne, they are a formidable presence in the Korean literary publishing industry, of course, aren't they? And this is uh, only just one of their many literary prizes. Can you tell us a bit more about the uh, how the Young Writers Award operates, uh, how the works are selected and what the rewards are for the writers? Munak Dongne is definitely a publishing powerhouse mm. for literary fiction and poetry in Korea. It was founded in 1993 and is headquartered in Paju Book City in Paju, Gyeonggi Province. It runs three other prominent literary contests, the Munak Dongne Writers Award, um, or the Chakkasang, and the Munak Dongne Novel Award, Sozolsang, and the Munak Dongne University Novel Award, Tehak Sozolsang. Mm. For the Young Writers Award, a selection committee of young critics selects about 15 works, and then a judging committee selects the seven winners. Among them, one is awarded the grand prize. The winners receive a cash prize of 7 million Korean won, which is around $4,900 each, a trophy, and are published in a yearly short story collection. The award's purpose is to promote the work of young writers, so the published collection is actually on special distribution for one year after publication. And if the book's royalties exceed the prize money amount, it is divided equally among all the winners. I see. And another interesting aspect of the Young Writer series is that each each uh, short story is followed by an afterword by the author themselves and an essay analysing the work, right? Yeah, that's right. The afterwords add more depth to the stories by helping the reader encounter the author's intent behind writing the work more deeply. And the essay at the end by a literary critic also helps make sense of the story's deeper themes. Right, so it helps put a spotlight on the writer as well and not just the story. Okay, so let's talk about the grand prize-winning story this year then. It's by writer Im Sora. And it's called Chopari Tolbogi, which uh, you have translated as Looking After Fruit Flies. So what's the story about? This story is a bit of a literary shoegazer that quietly devastates you before you even realize what's happening. Mm. It centers on a 50-something-year-old woman named Wonyoung who has worked at various odd jobs at the margins of Korean society, at a wig factory, as a grocery store cashier, elementary school cafeteria cook, part-time ballpoint pen part assembler, and telemarketer. 
Finally, she lands a job as a lab helper who takes care of flies for various experiments, where she works for several years. This job, which allowed her to wear a white lab coat and eat in the staff cafeteria, gave her a sense of self-respect and purpose. However, she eventually gets laid off due to a lack of government funding. Right. So this is about、uh, a woman from the boomer generation.、I、understand that she's also someone who didn't. Get perhaps the education or career opportunities that are available to many younger women now, and it's a situation that's perhaps representative of a lot of women in this generation currently. That's right. Yeah, and you know when we see.、Um... We see actually the following generation, so I guess millennials, like、um, people in my generation, actually,、um, we see that sense of guilt and unease with this inequality through Wan Young's daughter Jiu.、Mm. And Jiu is a writer who goes home to see her mother for the first time in three years, and is shocked to see Wan Young suffering from this mysterious condition in which all of her hair has fallen out. At the same time, Jiu is attempting to write a novel about her mother's life. And so, as Jiu try to, tries to、uh, find the root cause of her mother's illness, Wan Young beseeches her daughter to write a happy ending for the novel. So, a lot of the moral complexity and ambiguity of this short story stem from this point onward.、Mm. So, this story is a meditation on multiple themes: the marginalization of boomer women in society and the economy, mother-daughter relationships, and the purpose of writing fiction. Yes, I think I see what you mean by. Uh, calling this story quietly devastating, I think that's a fit, fitting description. I understand that the author's afterword seems to suggest that this work was highly、uh, autobiographical in some aspects as well. Can you tell us more? Yeah, in the afterwords, Im Sola says that her mother never liked her own name and used Wan Young as a pseudonym in unofficial settings, like entering contests or raffles. And strikingly, her mother said that she chose this name because Wan Young read backwards is Young Wan, which is a Korean word for eternal or、mm. forever.、Um, and on a personal note, this actually made me reflect on the silent generation of boomer women whose lives of quiet sacrifice will never be recognized as、um, any part of the public. Record. This includes my own mother, who, despite having graduated from university, was not really expected to make any use of her degree once she got married. Indeed,、uh, Imsora has quite a unique backstory as well, right? Starting with、uh, dropping out of high school to pursue a writing career. Right. She was born in Daejeon in 1987, and after dropping out of high school, she worked odd jobs to support herself as she wrote. Later on, she got a degree in creative writing at the Korea National University of Arts,、um, and she made her literary debut by winning the poetry category of the Jungang Literary Award in 2013 and the Munhak Dongne University Novel Award in 2015. And among her full-length novels is the 2015 Chaejeon Esheim or The Best Life, which was adapted into a 2020 film of the same title in Korean, with the English title Snowball. And she has also published poetry collections. I see, and it looks like this work and this award is just another feather in her already full cap. It seems that she's building quite a reputation. I don't think she has any novels translated yet, but it, I do believe there are some poems、mm -hmm. that have been translated online and excerpts from her book as well. The Best Life was translated. In Korean Literature Now magazine, which I think we、uh, touched upon with Barry once as well, so there is some of her works available in translation, but I think there'll be more to come、uh, from her in the future.、Uh, 
she's a name to look out for. Imsora, that's L-I-M-S-O-L-A-H. And that's how they spelt it in Korean Literature Now magazine. OK, a y before we go, were there any other notable works in this collection, the Munak Dongne Young Writers Collection? Yes, um, all of the stories were very interesting. Um, some of the notable works that I particularly enjoyed was Evening Glow or Chanyak Nol by Kim Mella, whose collection of short stories I have actually reviewed previously on Book Club. Right. And this is a slice of life short story about a lesbian couple, which was widely praised for its imaginative and humorous voice. And another short story that listeners can check out is Gold Rush, um, Gold Rush by Seo Soo Jin, which has been translated into English and is available at major bookstores online. Okay, so that has been translated. So it's perhaps a work that we'll look at uh, with Barry uh, sometime in the future as well. Beth, we'll have to wrap it up there. Thank you for introducing us to uh, Im's work and the works in this collection. Till next time, take care and uh, we'll see you next month. Yep, see you next time. I am violinist Danny Koo, and you are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. We've now reached the final part of our show, our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald, who we thank for providing us with their early editions to make this segment possible. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, is here with us in the studio. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, j a n g OK, let's start with the first story. Uh, what do you have for us? First is Park Ga-young's article in the Life and Style section of the Korea Herald. We have talked on the show about pianist Im Yoon Chan's increase in popularity, especially since he became the winner of the 70 Van Kleiben International Piano Competition mm. earlier this year. Well, you could clearly see how popular he has become, as his album with the Guangzhou Symphony Orchestra became a platinum-selling album within hours of its release. Right, OK, a y before we get too overexcited, <laughs> we should point out that uh, platinum-selling in Korea is actually rather different from the international standard, right? That's right. According to the article, in South Korea, major record labels consider an album platinum when 10,000 copies are sold. Rather than 1 million, I think, which is the international standard. Yes. OK. a y And Im's album, Beethoven, Lee Sang-yoon, Baba, sold more than 10,000 copies on Monday when it was released as a CD and on both local and international streaming platforms. This album is a live recording by Im and the Guangzhou Symphony Orchestra at Tongyeong Concert Hall on October 8th. They performed Beethoven's Piano Concerto, No. 5 in E-flat major. Im also performed pieces by lesser-known composers to... Avoid the trendy pieces played by many. <laughs> yes, OK. a y uh, Still, 10,000 is quite a remarkable achievement as well, especially for a classical music album. It just shows uh, Im's immense uh, popularity at the moment. OK, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Next is an interesting story about fans' interest in the director Park Chang-wook. You can read about it in the lifestyle section of the Korea Times. Park Ansol explains that a limited edition book that takes a look at the director's 30-year career will be published next month. Well, the timing certainly makes sense, as uh, Park has had an amazing year in 2022, right? He did. 
In May, Park won the Best Director Prize at the Cannes Film Festival for his 2022 romance decision to leave. He became only the second Korean director to do so. The film has continued to win prizes this year, including last week, when it received six awards at the Blue Dragon Film Awards in Korea. Eyes are now looking at next year's Oscars and whether the decision to leave movie will get a nomination for the Best International Feature category. Yes, I'm sure we will be keeping a lookout for any news uh, on that front in the future. Uh, Meanwhile, you mentioned that the article was about fans' interest in the director. How so? That's because of how the book's publishing came about. It initially came from a month-long crowdfunding project. The hope was to raise raise $48,000 to make the book, but Mm. in the end, it easily surpassed that goal by over 500%, collecting around $250,000. The article mentions that the book will be 600 pages long and will cover all short and feature motion pictures that Park has ever directed, written, and produced. There are a lot. One of the notable films that were mentioned was Old Boy. As well as fans of the director, it seems like this could be a good Christmas present for friends and family who are interested in film. Mm. That's because the book will feature discussions between Park and American movie maker Quentin Tarantino, as well as stories from actors that worked with him. Yes, I believe Tarantino was a big champion of Old Boy when it was up for uh, Cannes Awards as well, I think over 10 years ago now. I think he wanted to give Old Boy the uh, top prize, the Palme d'Or, but in the end, I was given a, the uh, Grand Prix Award as well. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, so it sounds like this is going to be quite an extraordinary book, quite a collector's item for uh, fans of the director. Right, yeah, it does look cool. And someone who likes film as well, I'll be interested in trying to read it as well. Definitely, OK. Uh, we'll wrap it up there for more. Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow, so we hope you can join us again then to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye.